Y'all looking good this morning. I'm just let you know that. I was sitting over there thinking about just about a year ago, about this time, I was sitting here looking at a bunch of empty chairs, right? So we praise the Lord that things are different than they used to be just a year ago. Uh, today, uh, Luke chapter 19, if you want to make yourself ready there, we've been the last couple of weeks talking about some Easter uh, topics reviewing really going like we mentioned going backwards we we talked in chapter 22 uh, about jesus being arrested not only being arrested but turned in by judas with a kiss which we uh, evaluated uh, if you missed that message you can go back online and find it and catch up with us we also talked last week about how the disciples and jesus were uh, in the uh, in the wilderness or in the mount of olives and Jesus was talking to God. He was praying earnestly that God uh, would give him the strength to continue the mission, even though his mind was saying, if there's another way, let's do that, right? But realizing that God's will is the only way, and he submit himself to that, showing us of, that his humanity was real, his suffering was real, but also we noticed that the disciples uh, had wore themselves out with worry about the things that Jesus had told them previously. And they could not stay awake and prepare themselves for what was about to happen. Hopefully we learned from those things as we proceed in our journey toward Easter Sunday, right? I don't know if y'all get excited about Easter Sunday, but I do for many reasons, right? We should be celebrating Easter Sunday, not every Sunday, but every day of our lives, right? If you think about what it's all about and what it means. But Easter Sunday is always nice because, you know, we, sometimes we get together with our families, maybe, and have fellowship, maybe family members that we haven't seen for a while and usually when that happens there's food on the table right everybody said amen and praise the lord i'm just trying to see if you're awake yet right it's raining outside and it's palm sunday and everybody's like well it's not easter yet so i'm gonna i'm just letting you know there's things to get excited about we're going to talk about jesus today so just be ready we're going to read chapter 19, verse 28 to 44, what we know as the triumphal, triumphant entry, Luke's version of it, or Luke's account of it. And once we do that, we'll talk about, we'll kind of break it down a little bit, and maybe, maybe the Lord will help us learn some things if we open our hearts and minds to his truth. All right, so let me, let me have a word of prayer quickly, and then uh, we'll get into the scripture. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today, and I thank you for this word that we're about to read. Help us, Lord, to see what's in it. Help us to uh, be reminded of the truths that maybe we already know or heard of. Help us to allow your spirit to make them real in our lives. Help us to help one another along the way and give you the glory. Help us to live lives that honor you. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus' sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. Gives us grace and mercy to be forgiven of our sins. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 19, verse 28. Let me just read through to verse 44. It's quite a bit, but I'll read through it, and then we'll go back. Starting in verse 28, it says, After Jesus had said this, uh, he had just been talking about the parable of the ten minas uh, previously. You can read that if you want to uh, after service. <laughs> after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the, the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, Even if even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon, the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you uh, and, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. A little bit lengthy scripture this morning, but it's one account of an event that had happened, and we want to break it down a little bit, and we want to talk about some things so that maybe we could understand some things that were going on then and maybe understand some things that might be going on now in our hearts, all right? Um, I figured out uh, early this morning that I'm, I'm I have, I'm going to talk about this scripture out of order. So you'll forgive me, hopefully, if I'm back and forth on the, on the slides. All right, so I'll do the best I can. So one, we see that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We all, uh, those of us who studied our, our Bibles and know the story of Easter, we know that this story that Jesus is coming in and he rides on this donkey and everybody's praising God and lifting him up as the king and they're putting palm branches, waving him in the air and putting their cloaks on the ground and he's covered the donkey with cloak, uh, their cloaks, and they're treating him like a king. They're accepting him into town as a king would be accepted. This is the normal thing to do for a king in this culture. All of it is normal. In fact, they were, uh, uh, in verse 38, they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were reciting what we know, know is Psalm 118, which is a normal thing for them to recite or read during the Passover celebration. Every time they would do that. Except this time, here's this man Jesus, who they have uh, apparently agreed is going to be their king. Right? And we sit here on this side of the cross, knowing what we know because we have the word of God, and we say, Amen. Right? Because we know that he is the king. We also know that he's the king of kings. And if we don't know that, we're not paying attention. Or we're rejecting that truth. Whichever it is. The problem is the people in this time didn't have what we have. They didn't have 
the knowledge of what would happen just a few days later, months, years, ages, right? And up until now. We get to know that Jesus really did get arrested and really did get crucified on the cross and really did allow himself to be killed on the cross. We get to know that God allowed him to be resurrected from the dead. In fact, God did that for him. God did that for us, which is what we celebrate next Sunday, which is what the believer celebrates every day of our lives, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. But these people are rightfully celebrating the the parade of the king coming into Jerusalem. Their king. So what's the problem? What was the problem there? Right? Well, hopefully we can figure that out as we go along. Y'all are like, don't ask a question if you're not going to answer it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. They were, everybody loves a parade, by the way. I learned this when I was with the fire department where I previously lived. And every time there was a parade, everybody in town would come out. And all the kids would be excited because they might get some candy or something. And half of the town wanted to be in the parade. Because in that small town, anybody that wanted to be in the parade could be in the parade. So you're either one who likes to watch people in a parade, or you're one who likes to be in a parade and let people watch you. Right? This is a parade of one man coming into town, being recognized as king. And this is their way, the culture's way in those days, of crowning him king. This would happen with any other king in the culture. And he certainly would come riding into town on a donkey. Not a war horse, but a donkey. Right? Movies have contaminated our minds sometimes. In ways that say, okay, if, if, if I see a movie and there's two kings coming to battle, the kings are usually off in the back on their horses or in their nice chariots, right? With some flag signifying that they are the king and there's a whole army of people around them. Usually people who are in command and he's just telling them what to do and the army's doing their thing. That's the picture that we might have of a king. What we don't know, or maybe we do, but what we don't remember or maybe we don't, when a king would visit another territory to discuss peaceful terms or just to come in peace for whatever the purpose was, they would always ride in on a donkey. It was a signal that I come in peace. Hello? So we're looking at Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. The king of kings, coming into the world as a human being, as a baby, surrendering his self from the presence of God, allowing himself to come into this world as a human, growing into a full-grown man, and then it's time for the mission to be completed, right? It is now time for him to do what he came here to do. And if you, if you know the story of Jesus and all the different things that were said about him and written about him, you know that there were times when they tried to force him to be the king, and he kept saying, it's not time yet, it's not my time. This is not the way it's going to work. So it was when he allowed it, it was when it was proper for him to do it, he, allowed, he made it happen. God was in control of all of this. So now, the time has come, they're coming in to town, 
And he's allowing the world to see him be received as king, and it is proper. So what's the problem? <laughs> what's still, what is the problem? The problem is in the hearts and the minds of the people. Right? They're saying, praise be to God, right? They're, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. But their understanding isn't correct. They're not there. They don't see what's actually happening. A war horse, when, it, when a king comes on a war horse, that's, that's bad. He's not coming to make friends. He's coming to settle terms. If you're with us on Wednesday night, we're studying Revelation, and we're in chapter 19, and we see that John saw Jesus coming for the second time on a white horse. And he's coming with God's judgment. Make sense? So here we have him coming on a donkey with terms of peace. Terms of peace for who? Jerusalem? Everybody, all of us, me and you. Why? Why do we need terms of peace from God? Because we have made ourselves enemies of God when we sin. Hello? It's okay to say amen, it's true. I don't like to say amen either, but we have to, it's true. We have made ourselves an enemy of God by sinning against him, by offending him, by rejecting him as our Lord and Savior. Same thing happened to Adam and Eve. You ever, you ever, heard, of the, you ever heard people say you only had one job, you just had one job? That could be said to Adam, you just one thing not to do, it's one thing. And they went off and did it. And we shake our head and we, when we tick a little bit, right? they just messed it all up. Well, look in the mirror. We had one job, and that's love God. Right? It's okay to say amen because there's an answer, there's a, there's an answer to the problem. Terms of peace. Here comes Jesus on a donkey. Praise the Lord, y'all. When you see Jesus on a donkey, we praise God because there's terms of peace that can be agreed upon. Little did these people know what these terms were going to be. Little did they know what it was going to take for peace to be had between us and God again. We know because we live with the scripture. We, we live with the truth. It's right here. It's not hidden from anybody. It was about to be exposed to the people in our uh, account here. They were about to see what was about to happen. In fact, they weren't just about to witness it. They were going to participate in it. They were actually in the moment participating in the terms of peace and how they came about. If you remember, if you've been with us over the last month or so, we've, we've, we've been talking about the conditions for salvation and how God has laid the gospel out so that we can uh, uh, accept him as Lord and Savior and can repent and can confess him as our God and also can be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the terms of peace that Jesus is bringing into play. Offered everybody. And the offer stands until Jesus returns again on the white horse. Chapter 19 of Revelation. Hello? How, when do we know that's going to happen? We don't. Terms of peace are the gospel. And they're on the table until Jesus returns. 
I'm okay with that because I'm saved. I'm okay with that because I've already accepted the terms of peace. And I'm a believer that Jesus is a Christ. I have repented of being an offender of God. And I confess Christ with my life. I've been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And the Spirit of God has been given to me to lead me and guide me every day. And I pray that His will is that I would be faithful. And that He would give me strength to do those things. To honor Him. But there's plenty in this world that have not received those terms. They know them. Most people know them. Sometimes we don't like God's terms. Y'all don't like y'all don't like that one. <laughs> I didn't like that one. Sometimes we don't like God's terms because it means we have to admit that we're wrong. We have to admit that we need to change. We have to give up things that we love. Right? Giving up sin, repenting, is giving up something that you love. There is no sin that exists in a man or woman's heart that they don't love. Or they wouldn't do it. The question is, is do we love God more than we love our sin? Do we love God more than we love ourselves? And Jesus coming into town as a king should have been evident to everybody in that time period that here comes a king coming in peace, coming offering terms of peace. The problem is, is they were so stressed out about the world that they lived in, they were just excited that they were going to have a king and that this king might overthrow Rome and everybody else in the world and they were going to become a great nation. Totally forgetting the fact that they were God's people and they were already a great nation. Because they had their mind on worldly things, right? And they couldn't wrap their minds around the things that God was doing for eternity. How many of y'all know that this world will not last forever? How many of y'all, don't answer this out loud, how many of y'all are living like it won't last forever? Look at verse 39 and 40. Let me see if I can find it here. There we go. It says 40, but it's actually... Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, this is like all these people, there's crowds and crowds of people because of the Passover's happening. Uh, people were following Jesus because recently he had resurrected Lazarus from the dead, and they were trying to figure out what that was about, and Lazarus was hanging out with them, so it's not like, let's go see Jesus, let's go see the, the dead man that's walking around now, kind of thing. There was people coming from everywhere for all these reasons, and even more so. So the Pharisees are there, I wonder why. Are they there because they're mesmerized by Jesus and his teachings? Or are they there because they wanted to see the miraculous thing that he did with Lazarus? Or were they there because they were trying to figure out how to shut Jesus down? In fact, if you read around the scripture, you'll find out that they actually, not only did they want to kill Jesus to get rid of him and quiet the crowds down, but they also wanted to kill Lazarus. Because Lazarus was living proof about Jesus so let's just get rid of the evidence not because not so much because they didn't really believe it's because they didn't want this to be true because it interfered with who they were and what they had going on they had it going good with Rome and the rest of the world they had some authority and they had a lot of uh, what do you call clout 
And all of this threatened their position. And we shake our head and we say, tisk tisk. But too many times we reject this king who comes in peace because he threatens our position in the world. He threatens our position in our own mind of who we think we might be and who we are, the kingdoms that we built for ourselves. And they're saying to Jesus, hey, you need to quiet your disciples down. And he's saying, he's not, they're not trying to tell him what to do. They're just saying, look, if you're a rabbi, if you're a teacher, if you're a proper teacher, then you won't let your disciples say the things that they're saying because what they're saying is, is they're quoting Psalm 118 about Jesus. And they're saying to Jesus, look, if you were a true uh, teacher for God, you wouldn't let your disciples say this about you. They wouldn't, this wouldn't be happening this way. And they're challenging him. And he, he looks at him, he looks at these Pharisees and he says, look, I'll tell, tell you what, if they stop saying what they're saying about me, these rocks will cry out that I'm the king. You get it? What's happening in our world today, you guys are fully aware, there's this thing that some people call this cancel culture, right? I don't know how you feel about it, but my understanding is, is they prowl around just trying to cancel stuff they don't agree with, whatever that means. Obviously, it's nothing new, because here's the Pharisees trying to cancel God. They're trying to cancel Jesus on the cross. They're trying to cancel the gospel. And what does Jesus say to them? He's like, well, I could tell them to stop saying what they're saying, but even if they stop saying it, God's creation will cry out who I am. You can't stop God's creation. You can't stop the gospel. You can't stop God. You can't stop God from being seen. Hello? You can't stop. If we don't preach the gospel in this church, all these mountains will say to the world that God is real whether you or I do it or not. Whether we live for God and expose people to the gospel by the way that we live or not, it doesn't matter because God will be seen by the world. That should shake you in your boots a little bit because what that tells me is God doesn't really need me to be glorified. For him to be glorified, I'm not needed. Hello? Hello? Look, y'all are sitting back, you're like, what, what? God doesn't need me? God does want you. He wants you so much that he brought Jesus into this world to go to the cross. So that in you, in your life and who you are, he can show the rest of the world his glory. Isn't that great? That's why he brought Jesus into Jerusalem on a donkey to offer the terms of peace. That's where you ought to be praising God because it could have just skipped. He had every right to skip the donkey and go to the white horse. And there would be no salvation for anybody. It almost happened. Remember Noah, right? God was so fed up with man, he was like, I'm just going to destroy all these people. Start over. He's done that several times. Just read your Bible. Plenty of times God was so fed up with us. But his love is so great that he was faithful to his plan all the way from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve decided to sin and offend God. 
He said, y'all, look, y'all put these clothes on that I made for you that'll properly cover you and then get out until I can fix this problem. And when I fix it, you can come back. That's, that's God's promise. It's right there in chapter 3. You can read it of Genesis. I think that's the most powerful. Look, I, my dad and I and my wife, we went to Thursday, we went to South Carolina to visit uh, 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 a town where our family is from just to take a trip. And we did that. It was nice and sunny the whole day. It was great. Walking around town saying hi to people we don't know. Got in a car to come back and it started raining. It didn't just rain. We got like to Traveler's Rest and it was pouring down. Like, I, I think I need new windshield wipers. They were just, I think it was, at one point I thought they were going to get thrown off the car. That's how hard it was raining. And while I'm driving, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just control the weather? It's, it's inconvenient when you're on a trip for it to be raining that hard, isn't it? It's inconvenient for you, for you to be driving down the road and you can't see the car in front of you for the rain and the wind, right? And, it, and apparently here in the mountains, water just comes flowing off of the mountains all over the roads. So the chance of hydroplaning is greater here, I think, than it is where I used to live in Indiana where everything is flat. Of course, in Indiana, we build our roads like this. So where the water comes off. Y'all roads do this and that and every. The point is, my, my whole point is, is I, I, was, I remembered that no matter what, who I am or what I build myself up to be or no matter what I'm doing with my life, there are things that I cannot change. There are things that are not in my control. You can't stop weather. Doesn't matter what you do. I've heard people say, well, let's just pray that it don't rain. Well, you know what? It might rain. It's okay to pray if it don't rain, but it might rain. And if it does rain after you pray it don't rain, it doesn't mean that God's not faithful. Here's the thing. When, no matter what we do or how we live or how we respond to God's terms of peace, He will be glorified and He will always be God. And Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's not just the King of our world. He's the king of all. And that's what the problem was for these people that we're reading about. They were so excited that they were getting a king that they totally missed what God was doing in that moment. It says that Jesus wept. He saw them and he, and he wept. Right there, it says right there in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. The last time that I read that Jesus wept was when? you don't know when I read when it would have been when when Lazarus died right we know that Lazarus and Jesus were pretty close right and we know that uh, when Lazarus died they sent for Jesus and Jesus said I'll be there in a minute and then a couple days later he shows up right like he didn't care but we also know that he had a bigger plan and he was trying to prove a point trying to teach him something so when Jesus shows up at, the, uh, 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 at Lazarus' house, and he's dead, the ladies come running up to him like, where you been? If you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. And in that moment, it says Jesus wept. When Jesus, has, when Jesus emotes, I take notice. When he has emotions, I take notice. Because I want to know what makes our Lord in the flesh react the way we do. Was he sad because Lazarus died? Some people think so, but I don't. I don't think so because he knew he was going to bring him back from the dead. He already knew he was not, it wasn't going to be forever, so why would he be crying over his 
friend's death. I think in that moment, Jesus was crying because of the lack of faith or the lack of what the people there saw in Jesus. They should have known that Jesus could handle this no matter if he had died or if he hadn't died. They were expecting, they were, they were thinking, that, okay, well, surely Jesus can come and help and heal him before he dies. But then he died and they're like, oh, well, now Jesus can't help. And that hurt Jesus. Not because they hurt his feelings, but because they couldn't, they couldn't see who he is. Their, their spiritual condition overwhelmed him with emotion. And, they were, and they were, that's why he was here, to die on the cross, because they, they were so disconnected from God and his abilities. And here we are, once again, the people are saying, hey, it's king, it's our king is coming into town. He's, he's, our, new, he's our new king. We're going to make him our king and glory to God in the highest. And they're saying all the right things, but in their heart, they had no clue about who Jesus really was and is. And they really didn't understand what he was about to go through. And if you know the story that we're reading in, they were totally unaware that just a few days later, what were they going to be saying? Crucify him, kill him. And now you, put your, you try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes or sandals. And you say to yourself, how would... How would how should Jesus feel about the condition of man in that moment? I think when I read about this scripture right here, when I'm reading through this and studying it, I think of when he's on the cross and he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're totally unaware of what the problem is and how serious it is. They shouldn't have been to some degree because God all throughout the Old Testament which they had was promising them a Messiah was promising them a solution to the problem of sin was promising them that they would be reconnected to him for eternity in a way that they were connected in, in the garden with Adam and Eve the promise was there but their, their understanding of how it would work and what it really meant was not there they were blinded so Jesus wept Sometimes I wonder, when Jesus looks at me, when God looks at me and you, all of the believers around the world, how often does he weep for the same reason? How often does he feel joy and, 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 and maybe gets excited about who we are and how we're honoring him. You know, because when Job was, te was tested, right, Satan came to God and said, look, the only reason Job worships you is because you give him everything and you just, you just bless him all the time. So God says, well, I trust Job. Test, go over there and test him. Do whatever you got to do. You know the deal. I want to know if we are going to be like Job or are we going to be like these people in this moment? when God looks at us every day? Is he going to be able to trust that we will pass the test of our faith? Or is he going to look at us and just weep because we just can't get it? That's what I wonder. That's what I pray about. To finish this up, this whole account that Luke is telling us about is all about the terms of peace and how they were brought into the world. 
We should have so much joy over that. We should have so much uh, encouragement from that because it shows God's faithfulness. It shows us a way to be reconciled to a holy God that we don't deserve to be reconciled to. And we also know that he should have been and should still be treated like royalty. He still is king and he is the king of all kings. And we definitely need to make sure that we're not just acknowledging him as king over our lives in this world. Because he's not a fast food restaurant where we drive up and order what we want and then pull off and leave it, leave it alone. He's Lord. We serve him. Yeah? And if we're going to sing Hosanna and praise God and glory to God forever because he's our king and he's come in with these terms of peace on this donkey, then he needs to be our Lord and we need to live that way. Many people will try to shout this truth down in your life. Many people will come along and say to you, shut it down. We're not going to be talking no more about this Jesus stuff. Many Pharisees will come into your life and try to shut it down. Where we can get confidence and standing firm is knowing that all of God's creation shouts glory to him, brings glory to him. I've mentioned this plenty of times before, and I'll remind you, we people are the only part of God's creation that can't get it right. Every other part of God's creation does what he created it to do. Isn't that crazy? This is why we need Jesus. This is why Jesus was weeping, because we can't get it right. But he knew that if we would just accept these terms of peace, he can get it right in us. Hello? He can get it right and make it right. Because he is Lord and Savior. He loves us. He wept over us. He sweated uh, blood over us in the garden, talking to God. He begged for our forgiveness on the cross, all because he knows that we need him. Isn't that great? We're the only people, Christians are the only people that take joy in our Savior's death. Seems strange, but we, if we understand the gospel, that's what it's about. He's offered us terms of peace. My question to you is, are you going to accept those terms? God doesn't force himself on you. It's open for you to accept. He needs to be praised as Lord and Savior, King of your life, King of the world, King of all kings. And this truth can't be shut down. Here's my last question, and then after I get done with this question, We'll have invitation and a song, and if you need to make a decision, you want to be saved, now's the time to do it. If you don't, want, if you don't know or you don't want to, then I hope you change your mind. If we're going to live lives that sing Hosanna in the highest, do we really want him to be king of kings and lord of lords, or do we just want him to be king of whatever we want to give him? You know? Is he really our savior? Is he really our Lord? Is he really the one who we want to surrender ourselves to? Make sense? And some of y'all are sitting back like, well, I'm saved, so this part of the sermon ain't for me. 
This part of the sermon is for all of us. Every day we need to ask ourselves, is he going to be my Lord again today? Am I going to let him be Lord of my life? Not just my life, am I going to let him be Lord of all creation? There are a lot of things in this world that you and I might get upset about. Doesn't matter what realm of the world it is, politics, social events, personal relationships, it doesn't matter. If he's our Lord, we turn it all over to him. He's in charge of it, and he tells us how to deal with it. He leads us in ways that glorify God in ways we would never imagine. That's what Jesus died for. Next week, we're going to celebrate his resurrection. After he died, he was resurrected from the dead. Isn't that great? We're going to celebrate that because that means all of us who have believed by faith and repented, we got to be baptized as a symbol of our resurrection from the dead. The sinful person has died. We put the sinful person to death. We're no longer the same anymore. Now we're in Christ, a new life in Christ. Isn't that amazing? I'm saying all this to most of y'all because I want you to be reminded of what you're saved from. I want you to be reminded of what Jesus did for you. I want you to be reminded of the, pe- the terms of peace that you agreed to, that we agreed to. Right? We're going to sing a song. Y'all ready? We're going to sing today. And during this time, we want to sing like we're saved. If we're saved, and if we're not saved, we want to consider everything that I've said this morning. Not because I've said it, but because it's the truth of God's word. If you have a decision to make, you want to be saved, be baptized, right now is the time to do it. We can make it happen. Let's stand together and sing.